0: You're listening to Vernacular Podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Zach.
0: And I'm Sally. And
1: this is season three, episode five of Vernacular.
0: Yeah, we've got a great episode lined up for you, a great guest. But before we get to her, we wanted to share with you our hashtag tip of the week.
1: Yes. And if you listened to last week's episode about not going to Indy in the spring, uh, this tip of the week is going to sound pretty familiar.
0: Yeah. So our hashtag tip of the week is do not go to Colorado in the early spring. Right. We just returned from a three day trip to Colorado that was supposed to be a five day trip, but we had to cut it short by 48 hours because a huge snowstorm was coming to Denver and Colorado Springs, and we just missed it.
1: Yeah, so the original plan was to spend three days in Colorado Springs and then two days in Denver, but we basically only had the three days in Colorado Springs and then had an afternoon in Denver because we had to change our flight.
0: A cold and rainy afternoon. (laughs) And we
1: were really glad we did because yesterday, when we would have been in Denver, the city got, well, I think it was anywhere between 6 and 12 inches of snow, depending on where you were. The airport
0: canceled 800 flights. We probably got one of the last flights out of there before the snowstorm arrived.
1: It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we glad. were really
0: glad that we went because we got to visit our new nephew and spend time with our and he's sister and brother-in-law. But we were really glad that we got out of there quickly at the same time.
1: Yeah, and we were able to come back here and have beautiful seventy-five degree weather and go on a bike ride and go to Chick Fil A and get milkshakes. So
0: yeah, the weather at home was very preferable. So we made
1: the right call. <laughs> yes, but we were bummed we didn't get to see much of Denver. But the whole trip was fun. Uh, man, Colorado, what a great place! We spent a yeah, lot of time it was outside. Beautiful. went the on a few great hike. We were hike. there.
0: It was beautiful. Yeah.
1: I really love that place.
0: Yeah, we went to the Red Rocks area for a hike, which was really beautiful.
1: Right, well, Red Rock Open Space, Open which Space, is different from Red okay. Rocks Denver, because Red okay. Rocks Denver, I think, is the amphitheater where they have oh, cool okay. outdoor concerts. But we yeah. went to Red Rock Open Space in, in Colorado, Colorado Springs, Springs. Uh, well, and
0: Garden of the Gods and Garden
1: of the Gods. Yep, so lots of outdoor stuff. We grilled out one night as well.
0: We had two great restaurants that we visited.
1: That's right, Bingo Burger in that Colorado was in Springs. Colorado
0: Springs. Yep, they had great burgers with like. Pimento or Pueblo chilies that were –
1: Pueblo chilies. Pueblo
0: chilies that were cooked into the burger. Yep. That was really good. Very tasty. And then on our one afternoon in Denver, we decided we would just try out some Denver restaurant in the little time we had. And we went to Denver Denver Biscuit Company.
1: Right, which is kind of unique because it's actually under the umbrella of Atomic Provisions, which is the food service or food company that runs these two restaurants. So the restaurant umbrella is called Atomic – or like the – the restaurant itself is called Atomic Cowboy, and it has two like sub restaurants in it.
0: Yeah, so Denver Biscuit Company is co-located with Fat Sully's Pizza.
1: Right, and so the Denver Biscuit Company menu is active from like eight a.m. to two p.m. most days,
0: and, and then the Fat pizza Sully's is eleven a.m. To, to like two a.m. or yes. something. It's oh, like yeah, really something like early that. morning. Yeah,
1: but really good food. We didn't try the pizza, but we tried the biscuits. Biscuits were really big and out of this world, and uh, had some fried chicken with the biscuits. Really good stuff.
0: Yeah, it was really unique. So it was a good experience.
1: And that was on Colfax. So and I think I
0: would definitely come back to try their pizza. It's oh, kind of absolutely. New York style. They've got white pizzas, which are our favorite. You could buy it by the slice yeah, you could buy, buy by the, the slice. pie. They actually had a cute little window outside of the restaurant. So you could just walk up to the window and order a slice rather than even going into the restaurant.
1: Right. And the walk-up window actually had extended hours beyond that of the sit-down restaurant Oh, portion. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. cool.
0: Oh, and they had delivery. So you could deliver. You could order a pizza oh, for right. delivery. Oh right, I forgot the delivery. Yeah, so that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so next time we're in Denver, I think we'll try that. We uh, recommend at least the biscuit part to you if you're visiting Colorado, and that was on Colfax Avenue in Denver. So check it out. Yeah, um, Fat Sully's Pizza or Denver Biscuit Company, or just navigate to Atomic Cowboy, and that's kind of the umbrella name for both.
0: Yeah, and then Bingo Burger in Colorado Springs. So So that's about all we have to update on that. (laughs) We have a very cute nephew, but otherwise. That's right. (laughs) We wanted to talk to you about our culinary obsessions.
1: Oh, yes. So uh, the stuff that we make here at home for ourselves. So obviously there are restaurants we enjoy, like the Denver Biscuit Company. But the thing I've been really into making lately is chocolate chip cookies. I've talked before about how much I love chocolate chip cookies. And I have this recipe originally from Smitten Kitchen, which is one of our favorite food blogs, but I've modified it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'll we've po- been making it for about a year, but Zach has modified it to... Actually, maybe it's extensively. It's pretty unrecognizable. Yeah, it's,
1: <laughs> it's pretty modified. Yeah,
0: I'd say it's your recipe now.
1: And so the, the Just key... Ins-
0: inspired by Smitten Kitchen.
1: Right. The key to a good chocolate chip cookie, in my mind, is to have a lot of chocolate. And so I've gotten these cookies to the point where it basically is...
0: It's like a dark chocolate bar.
1: Right. It's like a gooey dark chocolate center.
0: Pulled together. <laughs> with a
1: nice, almost um, caramelly... Uh, crust on the outside because i only use brown sugar no white sugar and there's not really much brown sugar uh but the brown sugar that i do put in is enough to make the crust nice and crunchy and like i said caramelly.
0: yeah and the just the ratio of chips to the rest of the ingredients is high so right. there's a lot of chocolate in there and fewer things holding it together
1: right exactly so it's pretty delicious. I'll post the recipe yeah. to our blog for you uh foodies out there who want to try this. Um but yeah, chocolate chip cookies are just one of my favorite foods. Yeah, in the yesterday
0: world. was Zach's birthday, and this is the second year, maybe the third year in a row that, <laughs> that he just wanted chocolate chip cookies. cookies. <laughs> I'm not
1: really a cake person. I mean, I'll eat cake. I like ice cream cake because it's ice cream, not cake. Right, but, but if
0: it's your birthday, you get to choose the dessert. It was chocolate chip cookies.
1: Yeah, cake is just it's fine. I'll eat it, but it's just not my favorite. I much prefer chocolate chip cookies.
0: Yeah. So my culinary obsession has, is a joint one as well because we eat everything together. But a dinner recipe that we've been trying, we've now had it twice, and I've already put it on the menu again for this week, is quinoa fried rice. And Which that's
1: is it's kind of a misnomer.
0: Rice in quotation marks. Yeah. Yeah. It's from this blog called Give Me Some Oven. And she has a great chicken fried rice recipe that has actual rice in it. But the quinoa fried rice is vegetarian. It has scrambled eggs in it. And it's a quinoa based. There's actually no rice in it. But you make the quinoa in advance and chill it in your fridge and then kind of fry it up with the veggies the way that you would rice. And I modified it a little bit. I took down a little bit of the soy sauce, added a little bit more sesame oil, and actually added in roasted or steamed broccoli. Right. So there's broccoli and carrots and onions and garlic and, and eggs. eggs and soy sauce, and sesame oil, and quinoa. And that's basically the recipe. I
1: mean, it's basically everything you would think of in fried rice, but substitute the quinoa for rice. Yeah,
0: it's delicious, and we all love it, even our little daughter. Yeah, (laughs)
1: She she went crazy on devouring that yesterday.
0: Yeah. It's really good. It's great as leftovers. It's great for lunch or dinner. So I definitely recommend that recipe. We'll link to it.
1: And it's so much more protein-filled because quinoa has higher protein concentrations right. than rice does. Right. rice is just basically all carbs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really delicious. Definitely recommend it. And I wanted to talk about something that is – it's not my obsession because I have never even tried it. But have you ever heard of nutritional yeast? It is not a yeast.
1: I have heard of this, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Right. Zach has heard of it because I've been talking about it. I'm so
1: skeptical. Anytime you're just consuming yeast. It's
0: not yeast. It's not normal yeast. It's like deactivated yeast.
1: So it's normal yeast, just deactivated. No,
0: I'm not even describing it well. It's kind of like the
1: smallpox vaccine is normal smallpox, but deactivated. No,
0: no. It's not yeast. It's not regular yeast. Don't think of it as the kind of yeast you would put in bread. But- it has a kind of cheesy flavor, and so it's very popular in the vegan cooking world because it can mimic the taste of cheese. So what we talked about the blogger Oshi oh, Glows. She's a vegan blogger. She has in her cookbook this recipe for nacho cheese sauce, and she just uses nutritional yeast. It's also a very popular topping for so popcorn. so gross. If
1: you think about it, you're just dipping your nachos in No,
0: it's not yeast. We've yeast. already covered it's this. It's fungus. We've covered this. You're it's dipping not your nachos not in not fungus. Not yeast. This so, is such – I'm going to try it on popcorn, which is one of my favorite snacks, and see how it tastes. And then I'm definitely going to try Oshiglo's nacho cheese recipe now that our grocery store is carrying nutritional yeast, which it was not doing up until last week.
1: I'm going to try it when Sally tries it. And if it's delicious, I'll issue her attraction. But (laughs) if it's not, I will say I told you so.
0: If you've used nutritional yeast and you like it or you hate it, let us know what you think and what recipes you've used it for. It also is full of vitamins. I forgot to mention. It's very nutritious.
1: That's why it's called nutritional yeast. Right. I see what they did there. (laughs) Yeah. So if you've had experience with this, let us know. Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. Which brings me to my next and final point before we bring on our guest. And that is, you should check out our new website, vernacularpodcast.com.
0: Yeah, Zach redesigned it and it looks fabulous.
1: It is. It, it's a, well, I don't know if it looks fabulous. It I does. like the way it looks, but it's a little bit cleaner than our old one, a little bit easier to navigate. Very we tried minimalist. to, yeah, a little minimalist uh, or very minimalist, how I just said. Uh, we tried to feature our episodes a little bit more prominently so you can find the podcast itself a little more easily. And we've revamped our contributors page where we list all of our contributors. And that list is growing. And we have some fantastic people that we really love.
0: I think we still – we have um, – Elena still isn't on the list yet, but
1: – Right. So yeah. we're working on it. We're trying to uh, get a headshot and bio from her so we can throw that on the website. But the list is growing. We're, we're also getting a few more contributors, so it will keep growing. And, uh, yeah, just head to that page and check it out and let us know what you think. VernacularPodcast.com. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to our next guest, Margaret. Let's go. All right. We're back at Vernacular Podcast with Margaret. She is the general manager of a Virginia restaurant, Water and Wall, and the unofficial beverage director of a new restaurant in D.C., and Margaret, I'm going to have to ask you to to pronounce this, the name of the restaurant for me because I don't want to mess it up. But sure. welcome to the
2: show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, the restaurant in DC is called Kirisan. Kirisan. Yes. I was close uh, in my mind. K
1: Y I R I S A N.
2: Yes. It's an amalgamation of a family name and then the numbers in Chinese and I will mispronounce this, but it's San, I think.
0: Okay. Wow, that's so cool, yeah, well, let's just jump in and tell us how you got into the restaurant business in the first place.
2: Um, so let's see that's how far back do you go? I grew up in Napa, California, which means that you grow up in a food culture, um obviously a wine culture, but also a food culture and as a kid and a teenager, you can't really indulge in the wine part so um, <laughs> but my parents like they're they they love food. Um, always were great cooks, but also like the things that we did for entertainment as a family is we'd go for a drive and go get dinner or lunch at some crazy place that they had read about. So um, so I kind of grew up with all of that, and I had a couple jobs in food in um, you know in summer times in college and stuff like that. Um, and then um, I worked in nonprofits for. After graduating from college, and all the time I was thinking about food, <laughs> um, thinking—I know that industry. feeling for
1: sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, we do that <laughs> regularly as well, <laughs> right?
2: Right. And you think about like, and this was when food blogs were getting really popular, and there were, you know, it was like when Smitten Kitchen was just starting out, and all oh, this. Oh, we love and Smitten Kitchen. Like, yeah, exactly. And there are all these. It was like this whole world where there were all these people who were doing this the same thing. They were sitting at their desk thinking about food instead of (laughs) thinking about their work. So, um, it was just a series of like little steps along the way. I, um, I love making jam. And so I used to make jams and then, you know, I would give them out as gifts. And then I started selling them on the side on Etsy. And, um, and I just kind of had this nagging feeling like, All of the time that I was achieving things in my work and working for really good organizations, I still just kind of hated being there, no matter what, because I had to sit at a desk and stare at a computer screen. And those are like my two least favorite activities. Um, So a friend of mine was a manager manager of a shop in Alexandria, a wine shop and wine bar. And she just said to me, like, why don't you come and work one shift a week and just see how you like it, get your feet wet. And, um, after a couple months of doing that, I realized I was so, so, so exhausted after that six hour shift a Saturday morning and it was like coffee near a farmer's market. So it was always super busy. Um, I was so exhausted and I was so happy Mm. So, um, I eventually that's the same shop. They opened a second location and I had talked with the owners for a long time about wanting to switch over full time and they offered me the manager position there, um, for their second location. And I jumped and I am so grateful
0: that I did.
1: That's cool. Bold move on your part. Yeah.
0: (laughs) striking out <laughs> all right so crazy
1: so you sent us the video uh it's about five minutes long and it sort of profiles the founders of your restaurants mm-hmm, which we'll link yeah. to on our blog we will link to on our blog for it's our listeners who want to see oh awesome
2: and That's we were
1: cool. really struck by that moment where they talk about how uh this husband wife couple and they each had something to tell the other and he needed to, he needed to tell her this is in the early days of their restaurant when it was failing or when it looked like it was failing, he needed to tell her that they were one day away from being bankrupt and she needed to tell him that they were expecting.
2: Yeah. Their first child. (laughs) I mean, what a crazy
1: story. And then their business really started picking up. They were voted the best restaurant in Virginia by several magazines. And then they went on to open up all these other restaurants. Uh, Has that been your experience as well? I mean, you've been along for a lot of that ride. And anecdotally, people who are involved in starting restaurants have told us how difficult it is. So has that been your experience as well?
2: It. It has been like, um, yeah, it's one of those, those things where, um, and he, he says later on in the video, and I think this really captures it in some ways and is actually also just completely not true in others. He says, there are these moments in time where you just turn out to be really lucky. And that's kind of what makes the difference between being successful and, and failing. And he, you know, in that particular story, like she was, expecting and with their first child and they lived day to day, not not paying rent day to or, day or, you know, not sure, like paycheck to paycheck, all of those problems that we think about, like, you know, young people right out of college have, but like literally their whole business was on the line every single day and they got lucky. People started coming. Yeah, you can d- describe it as luck, but it was also just incredible determination and willingness to push through and work very hard and and make make their dream come true by making this successful and in my experience with them and I think this is part of like I saw that early on working with them and it's part of why I feel so at home working with them is that combination of like the The personal goods, you know, them as a couple, raising a family, all of that um, are primary always, but they're also the reason why they work so hard in the restaurant and at the restaurant, you know, Um, for them, obviously, it's their livelihood, everything's on the line um, for them when they open a restaurant, Um, but for me too, right? Like this is my career and I do actually think of it as a vocation in a small V sense. Like I genuinely feel called to this work and feel fulfilled by it. And so even if like, like the, not that your personal desires and your work goals are always in harmony or that they're always fighting against each other, but that's, that's the goal. That's the question of balance is like, um, how do those like when those things are together? It's really, really good, and that's what you have to work
0: for. So on our so, on
1: our most recent episode of this podcast, actually yeah, it's funny actually, that you mentioned
0: or, vocation. Oh,
1: sorry, I guess not our most recent, our second most recent, two episodes ago, we mm-hmm. had a guest on and we talked about vocation and how it it should be holistically considered, not just yeah. your profession, but everything you do in your life, from family right. to friends to uh, career.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think. um I think especially from a Christian perspective, uh, it's easy to just think about vocation in terms of the big ones, right? Like vocation to ministry, um, as a Catholic to the priesthood or to the religious life, um, vocation to marriage, uh, and then even to some extent, a vocation to a single life. You think about it, the big V vocation, um, your state of life, and that particular relationship that um defines also your like your relationship to the outside world and to god right um but we we ignore the the other sense of vocation which is you know a teacher has a calling to be a teacher and um and you know a doctor has a calling to be a doctor and it's you know i would never say that the work that i do is important as heart surgery but i have a calling to this i really um it's It's something that I know that I can do for the world, um, and try to be generous and hospitable and good in this way. Mm -hmm. Having those that sense of vocation in your actual work helps you then decide, make decisions, um, both for the workplace and for your personal life, um, because it has to be integrated. And so that means like. You know, as we just opened this restaurant and I was working crazy hours, even though generally like I would try to take the whole of Easter weekend off and dedicate that time to God. But to me, my work is something that God's given me. And so the fact that we just opened a restaurant meant, okay, yeah, I can have Easter Sunday off, but I actually have to work this time because this is what I'm called to do right now. You know, and so it made that decision easier and brings it into focus.
1: Yeah, you know, I also think you shouldn't sell yourself short, though. I mean, no, you're not a heart surgeon, and neither am I, and neither is Sally. But food's really important, and food brings people together in a way that only it can. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking of a quote from uh, Michael Pollan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he has this, this documentary out on kind of a series of four documentaries out on Netflix called Cooked.
2: Yeah, I've been meaning to watch them.
1: Yeah, we we've, we've skimmed the first one. It's it's okay, but he he has a quote there that really caught our attention, where he says that when humans learned to cook was when we became truly human. Mm. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. But what are your thoughts on that quote?
2: Yeah, um, it's yeah. I think, I mean, I uh, I think that's true, right? Like you th- you think about. Um, even in the garden of eden when you go back to the genesis story food is not neglected in that story right and in god's judgment of adam and eve food is not neglected you have to go out and and work is not neglected right but you have to till the ground and um make your bread um and then so in a very real like from the very beginning there's this sense of of um you know, of nourishment and of food. And, um, and in some ways, like, and that it's the communal thing, right? Like, yeah, you can just go, you can go pick an apple off a tree and eat the apple, but she also wanted to share the apple, right? Like, even in Genesis, this is a major, a major theme. Um, I think there's this wonderful sense in, in the way that, um like, because it's so fundamental to life but it's something that can be that that it's something that's communal and that is an essentially human act um, obviously animals eat and they eat in packs and they eat in groups but they don't sit down to a meal with formality and even there's some like there's some hierarchy sometimes like we had a couple we had a three cats that were siblings and there was definitely the the biggest male cat was the one who ate first and then his brother went after him and then his sister went last. So there's hierarchy there, but that's not, that's not what we think of when we think of sharing a meal. We actually think of sitting down together in community and equality and that this is a place where we can all come together. And, and then the next step is like, this is where civilization, civilization begins because it's, um, you know, it's a family, it's conversation, it's, um ideas and like all of these things build up into each other. I mean, I don't think there is a civilization that doesn't have food as a, an essential part of um their not just like obviously it's sustenance, it's part of their daily life, but actually part of the the traditions and structures of the place, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. Uh my, my dad when I was growing up, he would always say food is not fuel. Especially Mm -hmm. when I was tempted to just, uh, like, eat my dinner really quickly and then run out the door when it was a family dinner. Right. Uh, The point being that food is more than just calories. It's something that we as humans do together and, as far as sociologists and anthropologists can tell, always have done together.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And something yeah. we enjoy. We don't just tolerate it or right. or input it into our bodies in order to make our bodies the most efficient. We right. actually, we enjoy it. yeah, or hopefully yeah. We And do. we turn it into art. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And when we, when we look at even just food
2: history for the last, um, the last generation, two generations, right? Like in the, in the fifties and sixties, you have that, that processed food, right? Which turned out to be not very nutritious, but right. Like part of that attitude was like, we just need to get we just need to eat. We need to, food needs to be fuel. We need to be able to live. So we have to eat. It's something that we have to do. And therefore we're going to make it as easy and convenient as possible with all this great modern technology. And we can eliminate this one worry from our lives. Right. But the backlash of that has been huge. Um, and we're seeing it kind of in, I mean, honestly, having grown up in California, like the, Um, Alice Waters and Chez Panisse and going back to the farms and going back to the lands. You know, it started in the 70s. It started having restaurants in the 80s. And now here we are 35 years later and it's and we see it as a matter of course. um, So this is interesting. If I can can paraphrase,
1: if I can paraphrase your argument, you're saying that McDonald's and it's ilk. (laughs) have caused this food revolution that we see in things like Smitten Kitchen and Sprouted Kitchen and the return to foodiness.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that. I love, I love a good fast food joint. Um, To me, it's, it's less that and more like, um, you know, like, Isles of like, nobody knows what a vegetable looks like because yeah. all, all they eat are potato chips, right? Right. Right. Um, more of that, you know, um, Fast food. Yeah. Fast food's part of it. Right. To me, more troubling than fast food, which turns out to be actually an awful lot of fun to sit at a diner and have kids running around like crazy and, um, you know, eat this crappy food, but like there's something fun and communal and silly about it. Right. Every time I go camping, I go to McDonald's and get a breakfast sandwich cause it's the best breakfast sandwich ever.
1: Nice. Yeah. Um, McMuffins are pretty good.
2: Yeah. But the, um, the idea that like, like and we see I see it a lot here in d c there there are no good places to get breakfast, but You'll see a million people walk into Starbucks or Pete's Coffee or whatever, grab a bagel, which, P.S., is terrible nutrition for you and will not get you past 10 10 a.m., you know?
1: It will get Um, you past gaining 10 pounds, though.
2: Right. (laughs) Right? But they they run in there because they haven't had time between the commuting and the showering and the checking their phones and the this, that, and the other thing to actually sit down and have a meal um you know and i mean i'm i'm guilty of this too i didn't eat anything today until about 4 p.m. but um but the the great thing about you know and food culture and also i mean obviously my restaurant it's a nice restaurant it's not a restaurant that you go to when um like for everyday food it's a restaurant that you go to for nice occasions and for um you know nice gatherings catching up with friends all of that kind of thing but um, but it is a place that says, like, food is, is part of something essential to life, and we want to make that special. You know, we want to make your Tuesday night special.
0: So you've kind of already partially answered this, but I just want to throw it out there. What is the best thing about being a restaurant manager? And also, what is the hardest thing?
2: Whew. Um, well, the hardest thing is definitely – managing people, um, which I think is probably true in, in any career. Um, the, I remember when Joey, like my first week of being, um, assistant general manager two years ago, um, Joey sat me down and she's like, Margaret, you are going to be a therapist. You're going to be a doctor, like a literal doctor, like telling people that they need to take Advil. Um, you're going, or bandaging up some cut or something. You're going to be a mother. You're going to be a friend. You're going to be a tough boss lady. Those were not the words that she used. <laughs> uh, um, you're going to be like, you're going to be all of these things. And sometimes you have to be all of them in the span of five minutes with the same person in the same conversation. Wow! Like, um, and it's absolutely true. Um, Part of being a good restaurant manager is, um, you know, seeing all of the contingencies and because every day is different, right? Like I know I open the doors at 5 PM and I know that I'm going to have 15 people come in because I have 15 reservations, but past that, I don't know anything, Um, you know, and, and so like seeing all of those contingencies, but then there's the human element and especially the fact that like, um, Restaurant people are just, as a general, like they're people who like being peripatetic, like wandering from place to place and job to job and interest to, to interest. What was and- that
1: word you just used? Peripatetic.
2: Chris uh, <laughs> would be laughing at you right now. Actually, I don't like, know. Oh, I,
1: I don't know this word. I've never <laughs> heard this word before. <laughs> um, Sally probably has heard it. She probably knows what it means.
2: Right? I, maybe I'm not using it correctly. It means like, um, like uh, wandering and,
1: um, like ambulatory.
2: I think no, uh, no, no it's that's more, just the ability to walk. <laughs> yeah, it's more like,
1: I am ambulatory. <laughs>
2: right, right. It's the existential version of ambulatory. Oh, Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, like, uh, Oh, who's I all of my Greek myths are escaping me right now, but, um, the one who's blind, who just wanders around everywhere.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: um, Oh, well, it'll come to me. Anyway, um, yeah, like they tend, servers tend to be, I mean, a not nice way of saying it is they tend to be fickle and unreliable Um, people in the food industry. But, you know, and that's, it's not entirely fair, but it's also not entirely false. Um, And so having that extra layer, like, okay, I can plan for certain contingencies of this day, but I don't know who's going to text me and say, you know, they just had an emotional breakdown, or they're sick, or whatever, or they're just not going to show up. I don't know those things. And so dealing with all of that, um, and all of the wild personalities and everything. um, It's a that's probably the hardest part about um, doing the job. And one that just like being a, a good parent, or being a good friend is like, you learn it every day and you mess up every day. Um, So there's that. The best part about being in a restaurant, working in a restaurant, like in this industry and being a restaurant manager. I mean, it's definitely the, like I have a home that's public basically and being able to welcome people into that home um, and whatever they're going through, they can come here and know that they have, an hour and a half to just sit and relax and enjoy good food and enjoy good wine and enjoy good music and, um, be taken care of. And because, um, food is something I care passionately about. That's, that's the proper outlet for me. I mean, I think there are plenty of other, you know, the whole hospitality industry is based on that idea, right? Like, um, uh, I don't know. I went and got my nails done. And the lady who does my nails seems like truly it's her favorite thing in the world that people come here to relax for an hour and get their nails done, you know, so you can have it in any industry, but because I care about food, um, and I'm very interested in it and, um, it's, that's the place where it's fulfilling. And, um, and that really is the best, the best part about it.
1: That's so cool. All right. So here's a question for you. Sure. For dinner tonight, Sally and I had a salad with mm-hmm. avocado, strawberry, nice. feta, and barbecue chicken. Oh, and roasted chickpeas. Ooh. What wine would you recommend we pair with? <laughs>
2: what,
1: what wine should we pair with this meal for next time?
2: Uh, um so the the wine that goes best with almost everything in the world. Well, I would pair fundamentally with that, I would pair a rosé.
1: Oh, rosé. I I always thought rosés were tacky wines.
2: So, cuz like they
1: couldn't decide if they wanted to be red or white.
2: <laughs> there is a very strong perception of that. That is that's what most people think. Um not most people. It's starting to to see a change. No, no, no. In um in the south of France and in many parts of um Mediterranean Europe, rosé is like a crucial category of wine. Um, so all they, all that Rosé means it's pink because the, all grape juice is white, by the way, like even red wine, grape juice is still mm, white. Um, it gets its color from sitting on the skins. And that's also where it gets like tannins and structure and acidity and yeast to help fermentation and all of this stuff. Right. But, um, rosé only sits on the skins for a little bit of time and that imparts a little bit of color it also imparts a little bit of tannins a little bit of structure um that helps give um give body to the wine and um and make it very adaptable so um i love rosé with something like strawberries strawberries is a common um taste in rose, uh, like one of the notes that you find very often, but it's also something that, um, you know, it's, it'll off, it has nice acidity, so it'll balance out the salad and it's great with chicken and it's the little bit extra of extra, like body and structure is awesome with, um, something like barbecue sauce, which I assume probably has a little bit of heat in it. Um, and it's certainly course, like, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. So, um, rose goes with almost everything except the heaviest of meats. And, um, yeah, and really that's it. <laughs> it's great. This is
1: good. <laughs> I learned something new. Yeah. Me too. Uh, yeah. I have a very rudimentary understanding of wine because I was under the impression that. Rosé was, like, blended red and white one.
2: Well, and... very cheap rosé is. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, good. I feel a little yeah. more justified <laughs> yeah. in this. All right, good. Well, yeah. we're going to try some rosé next time we have this salad.
2: Good. Do. And, like, stick with – if you stick with France, you'll be
0: safe. Good to know.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. French okay. rosé. Well,
0: before we wrap up, I just want to know, do you ever see yourself owning your opening up your own restaurant?
2: Um... <sighs> Yes and no. Um I don't like I I know firsthand how much work it is. And I I have to say like I've people ask me that all the time honestly. And um after the last like before the last month when we opened up our restaurant in DC, I just said unequivocally, absolutely not. There's no way that I will ever be ready to do that. Um like the desire to open a place of my own by myself, I don't have that. I, I am a very communal person and, um, the idea of striking out on my own to do something that to enact my vision is actually not something that I have. Instead it's like, okay, here's this incredible team. What can we build? And having just built something Um, that's not my vision. It's, it's their vision, but helping with it and seeing how to contribute to that and how to help that place be fully articulated and um, the best that it can be was really thrilling. So to me, just continuing to work with these guys and um, and continuing that process of, um, you know, building our restaurants and making them better and, um shaping them for the long term is is the goal that i have um you know and whether that means somewhere way down the line when i feel way more capable than i do today um i'll say hey i have an idea for a restaurant let's do this i can see that as a possibility but i'm i'm so far away from that right now um because there's so much work to do right here
0: right now that is thrilling well, thanks, Margaret, for coming on the show today and it's telling my us your story. It's been great having you.
2: You, It's been great being here. I I love this. This is so fun.
1: Thanks for teaching me about uh, peripatetic and rose <laughs> wines.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> I probably used it totally wrong, and it's going to be so embarrassing.
1: No, in, I actually looked it up, you and you were correct uh, in using yes. it. It also, however, has a second definition, and the second definition is Aristotelian. So oh, someone who is peripatetic is... Aristotelian.
2: Well, that's excellent too.
1: Yeah. So all good things.
2: (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Thanks so much, Margaret. All right. Take care.
1: You too. All
0: right. We're back to wrap things up with episode five. And we just wanted to remind you to log on to iTunes and rate and review us.
1: Please do. It really helps us uh, give us honest feedback too. You don't have to give us five stars, but we would appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it just helps get our visibility up on iTunes, so it helps people find us. Right. You can also contact us at vernacularpodcast.com. You
1: can also go on our website, and uh, there is a link now to just send us feedback directly through a form. Reach out, say hi, let us know you're there, let us know what you think of the podcast, and we'll mention you on the site. Speaking of which, shout out to Brittany, who contacted us and told us that she's really been enjoying the show. She recently discovered it has been going through all the old episodes and she's is now almost even, caught up.
0: Yeah. And she's even recommending it to friends.
1: So, Brittany, so thanks, Brittany. thanks so much for listening. For being we'll look a forward Vernacular to,
0: Podcast booster. <laughs> yeah. We'll
1: look forward to uh, giving you more content. And maybe one day we'll bring you on the show.
0: Yeah. And you can also contact us at Zach Sally at VernacularPodcast.com if you want to email us.
1: If you're on Facebook, go check us out at Facebook.com slash VernacularPodcast.
0: And Twitter at VernacularPod.
1: And we'd love to hear from you. So yep. let us know.
0: Alright, that wraps up episode 5. Look forward to our next episode.
1: For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. better than ever. When
0: I'm by your